Well, as we continue to worship through our giving, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 for our text this morning. We'll be in the Beatitudes, a portion of it, but I'm going to be reading through uh, the entire section. So chapter 5 of of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a white paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you this morning. Take that with you. Mark it up. Highlight it. Circle it. uh, Write your name in, in in the front page. We want you to fall in love with Jesus in the Scriptures. At the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will say, awesome. When you get to Matthew chapter 5, look up at me and say, His mercy is more. Awesome. Beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are glad that you're with us today. Um, We are in a sermon series called Jesus Uncensored, where we are looking at Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, uncensored, just straight from the lips of Jesus. And this um, sermon series is going to take us all the way into Christmas. And so here at Westside, we like preaching through books of the Bible uh, because it doesn't really matter what I have to say, right? It's just about what God says. And so um, before we do that, just a few quick um, important announcements. The first one is this Wednesday, we have our church business meeting. And so those of you who have gone through the Connection class are covenant members here at Westside, or if you were here before the Connection class was instituted, it's very important that you come this Wednesday at 6.30. Um, it'll be here in the chapel. We'll get, you'll get to see where all your money goes. You'll get to see and hear from all of the ministries that are taking place. You'll get to see what we're looking at for 2018. And really, it's just a privilege and a right um, for you to be a church member to come and see um, where all of this stuff is going and really be in fall, uh, involved in all the family business that's taking place. And then secondly, next week, uh, we will begin our another round of connection classes. And uh, a lot of you guys have been attending Westside kind of here on Sunday mornings, not really involved, don't know how I'm supposed to get involved here. This is totally for you. This is a four-week class on Wednesday nights at 6.30. You walk through who we are, um, what we believe, where you come in, how you can get involved. And it's really what we like to say, the process of how you go from being a just Sunday attender to a family member. And so this is how you get plugged into community groups and get to do all of that stuff. Um, Today's the last day to sign up for that. Um, We actually have to cap that class just so we can kind of keep it intimate. And it's always profound. It's always a good problem to have that you have to cap a class for people to become members of your church, but which is like really cool and awesome. And so if you want to do that, I would just encourage you, if you have any questions, you can stop by the Welcome Center um, whenever you leave today. And then um, thirdly, um, one of the cool things and tough things of being a pastor is um, you really get involved in people's lives. Like uh, that's a great joy and privilege of uh, being a pastor is that you walk with people in seasons of life. And so from babies being born to marriages to sometimes um, funerals, and you're just always involved in people's lives. 
And one of those things of being a pastor is um, you're involved in people's lives when transitions take place um, in their life as well. And we have some key leaders um, that are entering into a new season of transition into their lives. And so I would invite Steve and Kim Doris, if you guys could come up. Um, Mr. Steve serves as the CFO at Popper Bluff Regional Medical here in Popper Bluff. And so you guys have probably seen Steve around or seen him at the hospital. Um, Mama Kim, as uh, we like to call her, is heavily involved here at Westside. And so Steve is not only serves there, but they serve as community group leaders here at Westside. Um, and uh, Steve has served on our board. And so you're sitting in those pews today, and you have benefited from the labor and the time that they have put in to serving here at Westside. And they have a new season coming up. Um, uh, They're going to be going down to San Antonio. Uh, Steve's going to be working at a new hospital. They've got a new um, season of life. They're going to be around their son, Jordan, who's involved there um, in San Antonio. And so um, today is um, a day where we don't say... uh, Goodbye. We did it the first service, and I was like, good God, i got to do this again. And so um, in family, what we like to say is we don't say goodbye. We, we send off is what we do. And so um, I would invite you, if you're a board member or if you've been in their community group, um, we're going to put Steve and Kim. We want to put you guys here. Parker, we've got a gift for you guys. It's a bag. Uh, Kim's known as the bag lady. She has bags for her bags. Um, and one of the things is um, a Bible that's signed by all of us because there's no greater gift that we could give you at Westside. Um, than God's word. And so we want to put you guys right here. We want our board members, if you're comfortable, if, you, if you've been affected by Stephen Kim, if you know them, we want you to come forward. We want to pray for them. We want to put hands on them. We want to bless them. We want to say what the Lord um, says over their life um, because they are friends. And um, today we uh, send off family members to a new place and to a new season. So would you please pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we come before you and first and foremost, we're thankful for your sovereignty and how you orchestrate events in in our lives and how relationships come and go. And God, how um, people affect our families. And I stand up today as a pastor, but I stand up today um, sending off friends, people who've affected our family. My children know their name and my children have been impacted by their life. And God, we're so grateful for that. And as the body of Westside, we are so grateful for the labor that they have put in to serve the bride of Christ. The time and the sacrifice, the personal counsel, the love and the care, everything. And so God, what we do is we pray that you would bless them and that you would keep them and that your face would shine upon them. And that as we send them off to San Antonio, that we send them off to usher in the kingdom of heaven there in San Antonio. God, we pray a blessing over their family that this new season of life, that Jesus would be high and lifted up. And we always know that in new seasons, that there is new grace. And so God, we pray a fresh anointing upon them. And we pray that you would bless them and keep them. And we pray this in the mighty and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you show Stephen uh, Kim some love this morning? Enough of the mushy stuff, hurry up and sit down. (laughs) One of the things that when you read through the New Testament is um, you see the analogy of a family. And um, you see God working, and, and, and oftentimes we don't know that it's God working, but then we see Him send out and do things. Um, we baptized four people in the 9 a.m. service, and we're going to baptize seven people. And a total of 11 people are getting baptized today. 
and through tears we send people out. And, and I just want us as a body at Westside, please, the average church attendance um, across America is 50 to 80 people. And by God's grace, we see 300 plus people walk through the doors on Sunday. So I say all that to say this. That has nothing to do with anybody up here on this stage. Nothing. That has everything to do with the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So Westside, please don't ever take for granted. Don't ever take for granted what God is doing in this church and how he is transforming and changing lives. And please listen to me. Don't ever take for granted the relationships that you make here at this church. For they are relationships. Listen, you're making relationships with people that you will worship with in heaven right next to Jesus. And that is good news. Amen. That is good news today. And so we're continuing in, in, in the sermon series today, and it's so appropriate as we approach what's known as the Beatitudes, which is the Latin phrase where we get the blessed, where Jesus stands up and, and he says, blessed are these people who are entering into my kingdom. Last week we said he is the king and that he's announced that his kingdom has come. And maybe just by as a way of introduction to try to set this up, because I believe it's provocative and I believe it's profound. And I believe that everybody's going to get offended today. So welcome to Westside. We love, we're glad that you're here. And so we love what Jesus has to say. But um, I'll never forget, like, do any of you have an embarrassing moment from junior high school? <laughs> kind of a dumb question, right? Kind of like a synonym for junior high is embarrassment. You know what I mean? It's like the same thing. Um, I did a little bit of research and sent out to some of my friends, but I remember in seventh grade when I made the Kennett Middle School basketball team, and we actually, I dug up a picture this week, number 30, just looking like a killer right up there on the front row. You know what I mean? Um, but I remember going through tryouts, and like, here's the deal. I'm, I'm not embarrassed about this at all. I'm not so much an athlete. I read books, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, but here's the deal. I'll look like an athlete. So like when I was trying out for the Kennett Middle School basketball team, I was wearing like 37 sweatbands. I mean, I had the, the, the headband, the brand new, I think I even had knee pads, kind of like, I didn't even have knee problems, but I had the, like the shooting sleeve. I had, I was decked out. And so when we're in the gym, bouncing the basketball, coach is kind of like, man, I might need to I need to watch that guy. This guy's going to be on the team. And then we started playing, and coach was like, yeah, I don't need to watch that guy. I don't, we're okay. We'll be all right. And I'll never forget the moment. It was the next to last day of tryouts, and um, I was at the end of the court, not because it was wise, because I was exhausted, and everybody else was at the other end. My team got the ball, and they threw me the ball, and I'm there. And, I'm, and, and I realized, like, I'm looking at coach. I got the ball, and I'm like, this oh no, this is it. Like, this is my time. I've got the ball. There's the goal. The team is coming and they look like raging bulls coming at me right now. And I'm like, this is the moment. And so I'm like, here we go. Larry Bird style, just going to make white chocolate happen. And I just shoot that ball and it goes entirely over the basketball goal. Hits the water boy. And I'm like, oh my goodness. It's unreal. Great. Like bury me out back right now, please. And so we go into the gym the next day, and the coach gives his speech. You know, it was real tough this year to choose from the team. There was so much talent. And I'm like, bro, you ain't got to lie to nobody, okay? You ain't got to lie. We understand what you do. And he starts reading these names, you know, Will Pruitt, Chris Collins, Dustin. He starts, Orlando Every. He starts reading all these names. Jason Jordan. I'm like, and I lean over to Chris, and I'm like, did he just say my name? Chris goes, bro, he just said your name. And I was like, I just made the team. And Chris leaned back over and goes, I don't know how, but you just made the team, man. I was like, this is it. I had to go buy new tennis shoes, 100 more sweatbands, like the whole thing. And listen, that's not the worst part. 
our second home game at Kennett Middle School, we're winning, we're doing well. So like I wasn't first string, don't get it twisted, right? I was not a starter, okay? And so the, the first string is getting taken out and coaches put everybody in. I'll never forget Rick Bell. He was like, Jordan, go in. And so I, like it took me 15 minutes to take all my sweatpants and like all that stuff off. And so I go in, puts me in his point guard. I'm carrying the ball down the court. And I'm like, here it is, man. This is my shining moment. White chocolate's in action. I'm gonna make this happen right now. So I go cross the guy over pass the ball, and it's, everybody's like, oh, okay, here's a little moment right here. So then I get, you know, a little bit comfortable, and the next play, I'm going down the court, and I'm dribbling the ball. I went to go do the little Allen Iverson crossover again, and the ball hits my foot, rolls, the other team gets it. Listen, and in junior high school, there was this uh, forever remain nameless, a junior high schooler picks up the ball on the other team, goes to the other end, and just dunks it, just goes crazy. Rick Bell goes, dude, time out. Jordan, sit down, sit down. <laughs> I was like, that's it. That, that's the, that is my basketball career in and of itself. You say, what does that have to do with anything today? Well, listen, Jesus is a first century rabbi, and he stands up for the Sermon on the Mount. And everybody, this is not uncommon for him to give his teaching and his yoke. Jesus isn't doing anything provocative right now. But what first century rabbis would have done is they would have stood up. And they would have declared the law as given to Charlton Heston or Moses. You remember, right from Mount Sinai. And the rabbis would have said, this is the law of God who saved you out of the land of Egypt. And me being rabbi so-and-so, to, me, to be my disciple, you need to obey the law like this. And you can come and take my yoke, my teaching upon you and follow me. But Jesus stands up and does not start with the law. Jesus stands up and he says this word in your English Bible, blessed, blessed. Now, there's a reason for that illustration. This is what the Greek word looks like, blessed, in the Greek. It's called called markerios. Turn to your neighbor and say markerios, right? Markerios for the two of you that care. And it's really actually tough for us to translate this. Some people say that it means happy. That Jesus stands up and says, happy are those, which is true. It's no less than that. But this word actually has its roots in the Old Testament. And happy actually kind of focuses on ourself. Like we love being happy, 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 happy. Like we love all that kind of stuff. But happiness is more so based about you. But Jesus stands up and says this word, not so much about you, but listen, don't miss this. Some translators translate blessed this. Congratulations. Congratulations, you've made the team. But look at who he says made the team the broken, the poor, those who mourn, the humble. Literally, Jesus stands up and he says this provocative statement, not about so much about how you feel, but as John Stott, a New Testament scholar, says this, true, markerios can mean happy, but Jesus is not making a subjective judgment about how we feel, but an objective truth about how God thinks. Do you know how profound that is? That Jesus is literally standing up saying, this is what God thinks about you. This is what God thinks about you. Now, what we can't do with the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we do as Western Americans, is we want stuff to do. 
all the time. Give me a list right now. If I gave you a list, here's five things to make your life better. You're like, mm-mm, I'm doing none of those tomorrow, but I love writing them down. You know what I mean? Like, we love a list of things to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Listen, the Beatitudes is not about how to be saved, but listen, as Charles Spurgeon says, it's rather a description of who is saved. You understand the difference? This isn't something that you do. This is a description of the people that are the citizens of the kingdom. Congratulations, you have made the team. God's favor rests upon you. And what's the first characteristic? These are whole. We're only going to do the first four today because the first four relate to God, our standing with God. So what's the characteristics of those who've made the team? The first one is this, congratulations to those who admit that you're not good enough. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? Congratulations to those who know that they should not be on the team at all. Congratulations to those who were shocked to hear their name read. Jesus says, blessed, markerios are the poor in spirit. Now here's what Jesus isn't doing. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who hate themselves. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who constantly every day beat themselves up all the time because they're poor. Jesus is using this analogy of poor, but he says poor in spirit, spiritually. Now, 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 don't make it confusing. What does someone who is poor say when something is placed in front of them that they cannot afford? They say this, I can't buy that. Or this, I don't have enough. I don't, I don't have enough. And the first thing that Jesus says is that you know that you don't have enough, that you know that you shouldn't be on the team. But he says poor spiritually. Oh, see, this is, this is where it gets a little bit difficult. Maybe this will help. I remember about a year or so ago, I was having trouble with my phone, my iPhone, and the screen was broken on it. And so I had to go up to AT&T and wait for an hour and 45 minutes. And if you work at AT&T, that's a statement, okay? That's a fact, all right? And so I was up there at AT&T trying to get this worked on. They replaced the screen. It kept, you know, I couldn't move my, um, you know, uh, all my apps and stuff around. I couldn't make them look scared like I was going to delete them or anything like that. And, And so my phone, and they kept changing stuff and kept changing everything in the screen. And then finally I went back there. And then finally the guy went back and came forward and came back. And then finally came out and said this, Mr. Jordan, the problem... The problem is inside your phone. I'm sorry, the, the problem's not the screen. The problem's inside your phone. And just, I had a Holy Spirit moment right there in AT&T. And some of you guys do too, but it's a little bit different of a Holy Spirit moment, you know? I had a Holy Spirit moment. He said, the problem's not the screen. The problem's inside. I thought, you just summed up my whole life, man. I thought the problem was the screen the whole time. I try to change my screen. Listen, man, just because I stand up here and got this Bible in my hand, you don't know the depths of my heart. You don't know the insecurities that I have, your eyes looking at me and the judgment that runs through my mind and the insecurities. I'm constantly trying to move and change this screen. And the reality is, is what Jesus says, what you have to understand is it's not outside you, it's inside you. It's a brokenness inside. And I believe that's why Christianity stands apart from every other philosophy or worldview because I do believe it's the best answer. Have you turned on the news? Or have you turned it off lately, right? 
There's something wrong, man. There is something wrong. And what Jesus says is, listen, it's, it's an oxymoron. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they'll have a kingdom. Poor people don't have kingdoms. But Jesus is saying, when you admit that you're not good enough and recognize that you're broken on the inside, that leads to something else. And the second thing is this, that you accept responsibility for your sin. Oof. The words responsibility... Submission, those aren't really uh, favorable words in our culture right now. But look how the chain reaction happens. When we understand that we don't have enough, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Why are they mourning? They're mourning because they understand the problems inside. Because now I don't have enough. I shouldn't be on the team. And now I know that I can't get in. But Jesus says, congratulations. Congratulations to those who accept and know, listen, that you don't just have a problem, but here it is. It's really great motivational for you. But it's not just a problem, but your problem's you. Welcome to West Side. Glad you're here today, right? When you go to a bookstore, isn't it fascinating that the largest section in the bookstore is what? Self-help. I mean, we're all about it, man. How can I lose a few pounds? How can I help myself? And books come out every year and every year and give you 10 ways and 12 ways and do this and do that. And it's all self-help. But the problem with self-help is you're the problem so you can't help yourself. That's the problem. That's the very basis of this. And now I know what some of us do, and Jesus is literally flying in the face of that. He's making you own it. There's a difference in recognizing that there's a problem, and there's a stark difference in owning and knowing and recognizing that you are the problem. Now, here's what I'm not downsizing. Some of you have had some horrible things happen to you. Some of you have grown up and you were dealt a hand of cards that you did not ask for. I'm not diminishing that. I'm not saying that hasn't affected you, but here's what I'm saying. You cannot control your circumstances, but you can control how you react to your circumstances. And the, fundam- and the fundamental problem is we're broken in how we react. That, that literally we know that we have this problem. Here's what I'm saying. It's the doctrine of original sin. It's that we're born broken, right? And, 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 and to prove my point, anybody been around a toddler lately? You know what I mean? You didn't have to teach that baby to throw that fit, did you, right? Selfishness, man, it's engraved in us. Blaise Pascal, who was a scientist who came to love Jesus and, 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 and understood his worldview and everything changed, he said, actually, the problem with humanity is that they deny the very problem that they have. So, so people don't like to talk about the doctrine of sin or original sin, but the problem is, is you can't understand yourself until you accept that. And here's what he says in beautiful words. Certainly nothing offends us more rudely than this doctrine of original sin. And yet, without this mystery, the most incomprehensible of all, we ourselves are incomprehensible. The knot of our condition takes its twists and its turns into the abyss so that man is more inconceivable without this mystery than this mystery is conceivable to man. That's profound. That's beautiful. He says the very answer to our problem is what we call a problem, but it's actually an answer and that we own this. But ever since Genesis 3, there's been a problem. We've blamed it. So the problem in your marriage is if if your spouse would just get on board. 
I mean, if they would just understand, they would just do X, Y, or Z. My finances would change if it was this, this, that. My life would change if all of these other things would change. But the reality, first and foremost, what Jesus says is before you can understand and understand and be in my kingdom, one of the trademarks of being in my kingdom is that you know you're fundamentally broken. Now, the difference is two words, remorse and repentance. Many of you in the room feel remorse and guilt. We do not preach remorse and guilt because that is condemning. That leaves you in chains. Remorse and guilt provide no motivation to move forward at all. So you'll constantly be uh, feeling bad about yourself all the time. Here at Westside, we call those people Eeyore, right? How's it going today? Well, it's probably going good for you, but not for me, right? Always raining over you. That's remorse, And here's the problem. When some of you deal with your sin, you just deal with remorse. And here's the difference in remorse and repentance. Remorse focuses on what you did. The affair. The stealing. The lying. You are consumed with the act of sin that you did. But repentance focuses on who you hurt. Oh, there's a profound difference there. Remorse focuses on what you did. Repentance focuses on who you hurt. And I know what you're saying. Jason, you better have a Bible verse for that. Well, I do. Awesome. Psalm 51.4 says this. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know the background on Psalm 51. Written by a guy named David in the Old Testament. King of Israel. Notified as a man after God's own heart. He was the artsy type. He liked to play the heart, but don't make fun of him. Because he also killed a bear with his bare hands. All right? So he's hipster, but he's tough. Okay? And here's what David did. A man after God's own heart. He was on his roof one day. Saw another man's wife. And said, I like that more than I like my own wife. Sent for that woman. Slept with that woman. Conceived a child with that woman. And sent that Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to the front line. And had him killed like Michael Corleone from Godfather. Guy that wrote the Bible. David. And what does David say? David doesn't say... I've sinned against Uriah. I've sinned against Bathsheba. He doesn't say that first and foremost. Why? Because who are Uriah and Bathsheba? But they are just people in whom God has created. First and foremost, David doesn't say about this act of remorse that I've done, but it's repentance against you and you only have I sinned, the God of the universe. First and foremost, my transgression is there before it is anywhere else. And when you understand and mourn that, how can you mourn? What's mourning? You can only mourn something that you've loved. And many of you need to mourn your sin. And I have coffee with people and I talk with people all the time and they just don't feel the grace of God and they just don't feel the comfort of God and they just don't understand. But Jesus says here, the comfort of God comes directly with the confession of mourning of sin. So it's not the fact that you don't feel the comfort of God. My question to you is, have you mourned this fact? Have you mourned the fact that it was my sins that nailed him there? That when I read in the Gospels, Jesus carrying that cross to Golgotha and the crowd shouting and mocking at him, my voice is in that crowd. My voice is in that crowd every time I say, God, I want to live my own way. I bang the nail that held his hand there. 
First, we understand we shouldn't even be on the team. And when I understand that I shouldn't be on the team, I accept that responsibility that I'm blameless, that there's nobody else to blame, but that it is my sin. But here's good news. He moves on. Look at what he says in verse 5. Blessed Markarios, God's favor, congratulations are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The third thing is this. You acknowledge that grace is greater than sin. Oh, that was a good part for an amen. I'll say it again. You acknowledge that grace is greater than sin. See, that meek, the word meek there has the connotation of humility. Actually, the word meek, there's the Greek word praos, pray, animal. It's literally a predator that's been tamed. So how do you become meek? Listen, I can't just stand up here and go, be humble. Be humble, because here's what you're going to do. You're going to go home and go, oh, oh, I need to be humble. I need to do this. I need to do that. Am I being humble? Am I pretty humble? I think I'm humble. I need to do this. And at the end of the day, all you thought about was you, which is pride, right? The only way that you can be humbled is to love something more than yourself. And when you understand that God's grace, that he says, congratulations to you. Congratulations to me? Yes, the failure. Congratulations to you. It, it humbles us. And listen, that humility now makes us walk in obedience. It's delightful obedience. P.T. Barnum from uh, Barnum and Bailey Circus, if you ever remember uh, history, the greatest show on earth. They had a great traveling circus crew. But in the beginning, what actually launched them to fame was one particular thing that they had at their fair and at their circus. It was known as the Happy Family. We have a sketch of what it looked like in one of the newspapers. The Happy Family was a multitude of animals, lions, wolves, birds, lambs, cat, mice, all of these type of animals sitting in the same room together not attacking one another. One newspaper recorded it this way. It's a miscellaneous collection of beasts and birds, upwards of 60 in number, living together harmoniously in one large cage, each of them being the mortal enemy of every other, but continually playing and frolicking together without injury or discord. Listen, when I read that, I thought that's the kingdom of God. That's the church. Some of you are sitting next to each other here today and you would never sit down at a table with each other because you're so different. But not just that, we were once mortal enemies of God in rebellion, as Colossians chapter one says. Ephesians chapter two says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. This is who we were, but now we sit down and we commune in harmony with the creator of the world. And listen, don't get it twisted. Christians Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power that's been subdued. Christians aren't doormats. You don't just walk over Christians. That's not who we are. Meekness doesn't mean that. Meekness means that we've been subdued. But how have we been subdued? We've been subdued by the very grace of God, not by power. It's what the world doesn't understand. It's what I wish the president of the United States and everybody else understood. The world does not need another example of power. The world needs another powerful example of humility. That's what we need. We need someone laying down their life because as Romans says, it is the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And listen, when you understand the gravity of your sin and you mourn for that and you give a name to that, then you understand the grace of God washes over us. And it's there that we've been subdued, not by power, but we've been subdued by powerful grace in light of that. And now what does that do for us? It leads us to the last thing. 
then we ache for God's righteousness. Oh God, I want more of that. Do you see the progression? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I chose the word ache because we don't know anything of what it is to hunger and thirst. We have tap water, right? In Jesus' ancient time, you didn't just go get clean, cool water. These people would have understood what it was to ache for something like that, to long for that. But what are we longing for? We are longing and thirsting for what? Righteousness. Now, I know you may not have grown up in church. Righteousness is a big word, but then again, so is mayonnaise. Okay, and you use that every day, all right? We're going to learn a word today. Righteousness means right standing. That's what it means. A right standing with God. And you experience this all the time. Have you ever been to the DMV, right? Get those tags renewed or to pay sales tax after somebody's already paid 37 times sales tax on that vehicle. That's a crime, but anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But, and so you're there at the DMV, and like, goodness gracious, you need everything but a drop of blood to get approved at the DMV, right? And so you're standing there, and they're looking, they're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're sitting there dying, going, oh my goodness, is this going to pass? Am I going to get my car renewed? Is this going to happen? Or have you ever been for a job interview, Right? You put that resume down. You make yourself look good. And the guy, like, what is it about job interviews that they just click the pin? Mm-hmm. Click, click, and it's just torture, that pin that's getting clicked. Or you've been to the bank, and you've asked for a loan, and you had to, you know, prove your great-granddaddy's tax return from 1960-something to get some money. What are you doing? You know what you're doing. You're asking for righteousness. You're asking to get approved. That's why it's nerve-wracking. And you know why it's nerve-wracking? Because each and every one of us sit in that chair and we know that we're not righteous in and of ourselves. That's why we long and we thirst for this. We say, I'm not even supposed to be on this team. Blessed, Markarios, God's favor, congratulations are who the poor in spirit, those who shouldn't even be on the team. And those who acknowledge and mourn that fact. And those who have accepted that responsibility. And now that you know that, as the Apostle Paul says, that we are literally addicted to our faith. That we are grace addicts. And so now when our good king commands us to do something, and he says, this is the way that you should live your life. You hunger and you thirst for that. Oh, Jesus, how's my marriage supposed to be? Please tell me that I need more of that. That's good. How am I supposed to handle my finances? I need that because what I have to show for what I lived earlier is broken poor and contrite. Tell me what I need to do now because I hunger and I thirst for that. And listen, I don't know if we understand how provocative these words are that Jesus says. Literally, you on this side of the room, congratulations to the thief and the liar. To this side of the room, congratulations to the adulterer. Because God's favor now rests upon you because of Christ. And there's nothing that you could have done When we get to, listen, man, if I hear somebody else say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God a thing or two. I'm going to punch them in the throat in the name of Jesus, man. Do you understand what you're saying? The creator of the universe, what's in heaven is a throne. And seated upon that throne, as Isaiah said, is high and lifted up. And the train of his robe fills the temples. And the angels go around every day singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when I stand before that throne, as Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, it's appointed for man to die once. And after that, he's to face judgment. And when I stand before that throne, there's one thing I got, and it's Christ. It's Jesus. That's the only way, man. That's all I've got. 
That's why the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. And I hunger for this and I thirst for this righteousness, for this right standing that's outside of me, not in me. And listen, today I beseech you, take off your mask because you're exhausted. You're so exhausted. Whether it's at night before you go to bed, whether it's before you walked in those doors today, how's it going? Good, brother. Highly blessed and favored. And you're broken inside. Take it off because when you take it off, Jesus says, congratulations. Congratulations. You've made the team. And that grace is overwhelming. Tyler's going to come and lead us in a time of response. I'm going to end with the story of Becky Pippert. Tim Keller tells the story of Becky Pippert. Becky Pippert is a um, Christian author and speaker, and she speaks at many women's conferences. And Tim Keller told a story about after one of the conferences, Becky had spoken, and a young lady came up to her and asked to meet with her. And I'm just going to read verbatim. She came up and she said, I need to talk to you. So they went into the back room, and this is what the woman said. I was married recently. She said she was a member of a very, very conservative evangelical church, and she was marrying a handsome young man who was also a member of that church. The two of them were considered leaders, and they were considered shining lights in the church. And just about six months before they were to be married, they discovered that she was pregnant by him. They suddenly realized what this would mean, and it would mean that this conservative church would know that they weren't practicing what they were preaching And they realized the scandal. And they cared so much about their image that they decided that they would have an abortion. And she recalls and she says, I quote, I walked down the aisle on my wedding day as a beaming bride. But inside, when I was watching all of those people watch me and take photos of me, all I could hear in my head was, you're a murderer. And your dress should not be white. All the way down the aisle, she said, you were so worried about showing these people who you really were and you were so afraid of being exposed that you would murder and take a life just so you wouldn't have to look bad and take off the mask. I know what you are and God knows what you are. She came to Becky and said, I've confessed this thing a thousand times over and over and over again, and I'm just obsessed with it. I'm depressed. It's ruining my marriage. It's running me into the ground. I'm an emotional wreck, and I don't know what to do. How could God possibly forgive me? I mean, I know grace, and I understand all of this, but I cannot forgive myself. What am I supposed to do? Becky Pippert suddenly had an idea, and she swallowed hard. And she prayed and she said these words. My dear sister, Jesus Christ had to die for all of your sins. Sins of the religious and the non-religious. Sins of the Nazis and the victims. Sins of the moral types and the immoral types. We are all responsible for the death of the only innocent one who ever lived. The sin that caused you to take a life was pride, and it was pride that destroyed Jesus Christ's life 2,000 years ago. As Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, said, we all carry about in our pockets his very nails. Dear sister, you were already a murderer before this happened, and it was all totally paid for long ago. What happened to that woman? Did she suddenly say, you're making me feel worse? No, because she got the point. She turned to Becky and she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're right. 
I've always in my head believed I was a sinner and my sins were responsible for the death of Christ. And now I understand. I came to tell you that I had done the worst thing imaginable and you've told me I've done something worse than that. And if I'm worse than I've imagined and I killed God's son and he forgave me for that, then he will forgive me for anything. Of course she couldn't forgive herself because all during this time she was still relying on her own righteousness. And the day Becky Pippert told her that she had done something much worse and been forgiven, suddenly she realized and she began to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And she said, wait a minute, all along Christ was my only hope and he can free me and you can be freed too. Here's the big idea today. Congratulations because God's favor is for failures. Congratulations. Blessed are you because you failed, because you mourn. And now in light of that, listen, your sin is not more powerful than grace. And that grace washes over us today and it makes us hunger and thirst. And we come to the table and we see and we recognize that we failed, but we leave this table. Oh, leave this table today. And all you hear is congratulations. Jesus has done it. This is why at Westside we preach good news, the gospel. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and God have your way with us. God, may a light come on for those who are living in remorse and not repentance. May they be freed today to move past the act and look at the person in which it hurt, which is you. And when they see you, Jesus, and understand that that's been paid for, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And may this kingdom of heaven expand today. May we come to the table and see our payment and leave with congratulations. We pray this in the mighty and in the precious and in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand right where you're at and come forward and partake in communion?